Welcome to the Physician Negotiator Podcast, where no decision is left to chance. With your host, Doc of All Trades. So the question is, why is networking so important? This was one of the lessons that it took me a long time to really figure out. And the more I understood networking, the more it's enhanced my career. And the earlier you learn this particular technique, the the better you're going to do, not only in your medical training, your residency, but also in your career. And for those of you who are interested in transitioning out of medicine, it is absolutely vital. I recently listened to a, a TED Talk titled, Isolation is the Dream Killer, Not Your Attitude, by Barbara Sher. And her premise was simple. The more you isolate yourself, the more you're not going to get the success that you seek. Her premise is this. Everybody wants something. Once you define what you want, you need to figure out what the obstacle is. And the key to success is to surround yourself by enough people that you can tell them what that obstacle is such that they can help you overcome it. This is the key to life. This is the key to networking. You have an obstacle. What is holding you back? Once you figure it out, find other people who've gone through the same path that you have, and they'll give you a clue. They'll help you overcome that obstacle so that you can be successful. It applies everywhere. It applies not only not only in your career, in your day-to-day life. What if you have a medical problem? What if you have a personal problem? What if you have a financial problem? The more people that you let know about this problem, the more likely you're going to get a solution and the quicker you're going to get a solution. So without further ado, here's my introduction. And uh, I have a special, special guest who's going to help us understand this networking. Talk to you soon. Okay, today on the show, I have uh, the honor of having Dr. Michelle Mudge-Riley. She's a serial entrepreneur and physician coach who has successfully transitioned out of medicine at a very early stage in her career. She now helps other physicians with career transition and or career enhancement. I first met her at SEEK, the non-clinical careers for physicians conference, and she was not only one of the best speakers, but also connected with her audience in a way that I have never seen before. In addition to having authored several articles and featured on Kevin MD, Physicians Practice, the American Association for Vision Leadership, and others, she is also has a membership site called Physicians Helping Physicians, which is filled with actionable advice and modules for helping physicians optimize their careers. And as a bonus, I hope she shares some very exciting news with us on this show. Uh, Dr. Dr. Mudge, welcome to the show. All right, Michelle, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm so excited to be here with you. Excellent. Well, uh, as you know, you and I, uh, you just came back from SEEK, and uh, we first met at SEEK about a year ago, and that was really awesome. And uh, when I uh, had mentioned earlier about how you had such an attraction for the audience, it reminds me of kind of like The Walking Dead when everybody wanted to be around you after that. You had such this, uh, this magnetism about you, and uh, it, was just, it was just amazing. Thank you. Well, you know, I had a great time speaking with physicians who are looking at non-clinical careers, either as a full transition, a part-time, or even a side gig, is something that I just get really excited about because I know how much opportunity there is, and I know how excited other people get once they start to get involved in their non-clinical career. Well, you know, as far as opportunities are concerned, you know, we have the luxury of having access to people like you and uh, just so much information on the Internet that didn't exist just, what, 10, 15 years ago. 
And, you know, with respect to your transition, uh, and you transitioned out very early, nothing like this even existed back then. Yeah, I know. And I wished it had because it would have helped me so much. When I was considering the transition, I was very lost and I felt very alone. Um, LinkedIn wasn't really going. Um, Facebook wasn't around, at least not to the wide public. And the resources that were out there were just so limited. Uh, coupled with that was the fact that I didn't know where to look and I didn't know who to trust. And so I made a lot of mistakes along the way, but I really just knew that what I was doing at the time was not my permanent path. And so I had to continue to navigate and figure it out. And once I did, I swore that I would help other physicians who were looking at a non-clinical career and just let them know what had worked for me. And so I started writing about my story and, um, you know, timing is everything, I guess, because people found my writing interesting and it got published. And so people started to find me, physicians, and they reached out to me and I helped them with the same things that had helped me. And then I got invited to speak in different settings and um, gosh, I was the worst speaker at first, you know, <laughs> whenever we're starting something new, um, it's, it's just, you have to learn what you're doing. And, um, I'm an introvert by nature. So I had to learn how to be a decent speaker. Um, but it's been fun. Well, so with respect to your internship, um, you decided to transition out after it was, it was right around the, the first year, correct? Yes, it was. I was very early and um, sometimes I I feel, well, I felt like something was wrong with me when I was deciding to transition because it was so early. I, I did finish. Um, so I am a physician, but I left after my intern year mm-hmm. and I thought I would go back. Uh, I did plan to go back after a year or two. Uh, I, I worked for a year in industry and, and then I decided to get another degree to fill in some gaps in my education with a business degree. Because, you know, when you're going to be a physician, you miss a lot of those classes. I mean, I think I took one business class in college. And so I felt like I needed some of that. I needed to learn negotiation and just really how to interact in the business world um, because that's really what we have to do all the time in order to be successful. And there are lots of little techniques that we don't learn that are really vital to creating a career path and being successful. Well, and it sounds like you've used these techniques and the skill set then to become a serial entrepreneur. Um, so the question for you is, did, did, did you have that skill set when you first transitioned out of medicine or how did you get your first um, non-clinical job? Oh, yeah. Gosh. Okay. So networking is one of those big skill sets that we just do not learn as doctors. And so I did not know how to network. I, I didn't know the the kind of proper way to go about helping someone else or reaching out to someone appropriately. I mean, as doctors, we're even hesitant to reach out for help because I think our training teaches us that we should know everything and we should not admit our weakness. And, 
you know, that is drilled into us in so many different ways. And it's so detrimental, not only to our spirits, but to the rest of the world, because reaching out is actually so helpful to everyone, not only to you, but to the other person, because it gives them the opportunity to then help you. And people do like to help each other. So finding that first job was, uh, a networking exercise and <laughs> I, I was thrown into the deep end. So when I realized that I wanted something else and that I was going to see what was out there, I just started telling everybody that I was looking for a job. And I remember telling people at the grocery store, I mean, it was so pathetic, but I, I was determined that I was going to figure this out. And so I remember at one point I was in a running group because I am a runner that's always gotten me through a lot of things and I run long distance. So we were doing, I don't know, five or seven miles. It wasn't a long run, but I ended up chatting with another guy who worked at a medical device company and I was kind of telling him my story, giving him my spiel. And he mentioned that there was an opening on his team. And I said, I would be interested. And so, you know, you tell a lot of people that and nothing happens. But luckily in this case, I did make it to the interview stage and I went through numerous interviews and I, I ended up getting the job. So I worked for a medical device company for about a year. Wow, that's amazing. Um, and after you transitioned out of, uh, of that job, how did you use networking to then go into the, your next um, your next job? Yeah. So even that first job didn't make me an expert in the business world or in networking or anything. And I mean, in fact, that job was kind of a disaster. <laughs> and that's, oh, no. <laughs> that's probably out of the scope of this podcast. But I just did not know how to have a job. Um, I'd always been headed towards being a doctor and I didn't work a whole lot of other jobs. And so that was not a good thing for me. And I always recommend people work while they're in school or while they're getting training because it provides you with so many skills, even the most, I guess, boring job or menial job, retail, all working as a waiter, waitress, bartender, all these jobs teach you so much about the world and about um, how to get along with people and how to interact with people and motivate people. They teach you a lot about yourself. So all of those things I was kind of learning and it was a very steep curve. So the job was okay, um, but I then went back to business school and I, I was taking night classes during that job, but I went back to school uh, full-time for a year. And during that time, I did work. So that helped me quite a bit. And I met someone who taught me about networking. He introduced me to a book called Never Eat Alone by Keith Ferrazzi, which that book I tell people kind of changed my life in a lot of ways because it it introduced me to the concept of networking and the fact uh, that it is not something that is to be feared or to uh, to not try to actively do. It's not slimy. It's not like selling. 
it's really just adding value to someone else's life. And in turn, that motivates them to want to help you. So it, it really changed my perspective on a lot of things because, you know, as doctors, we are always fearful of selling and um, being sold to and, and just that mindset. And that's what a lot of people think about when they think about networking. It's, you know, brown nosing or giving people compliments or, you know, trying to sell whatever it is you have or whatever you're trying to do or asking for a job. And it's not that at all. So once I consciously understood a little bit more about networking and how to do it, I was able to more purposefully um, start networking. So as I was working in a second internship, actually a business internship, I was using some of those techniques and I went to a conference. Um, it was a wellness conference because I was interested in wellness, which is a very ambiguous term. And um, again, probably a whole podcast can be done about wellness. <laughs> but I talked to people and I, I used some of the things that I had been practicing up until then, some of these networking techniques. And um, I ended up getting back from that conference. And a couple of weeks later, I had a job offer for a corporate wellness position. And I worked as director of medical management and wellness for about three and a half years. And that was a great job for me. I was able to uh, design, implement, and evaluate corporate wellness programs for small and medium-sized businesses as part of a brokerage firm. Um, so it was a really great job. And, and I learned even more during that job. Well, you know what's amazing about that is that just using the, the skill set, you're able to, it almost sounds seamlessly transition out of medicine. Um, and if you lack that skill set, then it might make that transition that much more difficult. Yeah, it's, it is difficult to not be using networking to, and trying to transition. And that's some of the things that I uh, teach people and advise people to do, and I help them with how to network appropriately so that they feel good about it and the other person responds. Um, you probably are familiar with people telling you, oh, you know, I, I tried talking to this person or that person and it got nowhere, or I thought I was going to get this job, but uh, I haven't heard back, or I emailed this person and he or she hasn't gotten back to me. And so really just managing that networking, because all of that involves networking, will help someone to get a job a lot easier. And it's just not a skill set that we get in medical school or training. And you, you've actually talked about this on your website. There's there's actually such thing as a networking strategy, correct? That's right. How would you? Uh, what, what's your favorite technique uh, networking strategy? Yeah. So my favorite networking strategy is really trying to bring value to somebody else's life, and that way I don't feel like I'm asking for something. Um, and I feel like the other person is able to get some value, able to make their day better, get a little bit further along whatever course they're on. And what that does is magically that in turn motivates that person to want to help you because you can't make someone give you a job. You can't make someone pass your resume along or introduce you to the hiring manager or someone who can help you. And if you flat out ask, oftentimes you're going to get nowhere and you may not even get another conversation with this person because they're going to not want to talk to you and they'll think that you're going to be asking them for a job. So by really focusing on 
What's the other person interested in? Is it sports? Is it cooking? Is it animals? Is it their kids? And really striving to help them with that or bring value or um, give them more information so for example, if someone has a, a kid, they're trying to figure out what school to send them to, and you happen to run across an article about, say, public schools versus private schools versus charter schools, and you feel like, wow, this would be really helpful for someone who is looking at different schools, you just pass that along. And you can you can email or send a message through LinkedIn or However you interact with this person, call them, send them a message on Facebook, you know, tons of different ways to interact with someone else. Whatever way you're currently uh, interacting with them, just get them the link to that article and with a simple, I saw this and thought of you, hope this is helpful. That will get you further along than a lot of different things. So this is just one specific example, but I'm sure you can think of more. Well, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with the venue as well. So, for example, if you're at a conference, that might be you might use a different technique than if you were uh, where, whereas you were in a work situation, in a work environment where you already know somebody. Yeah. Oh, that is a great uh, point. Yes, because at a conference, it's everyone is there for a specific purpose. They're all interested in that specific topic or subset of topics. And most likely they want to meet people who are doing that job or in that area or industry. And so it's a little bit easier to network at a conference than it is say at work or even just at home when you're emailing or um, using LinkedIn. I mean, those, those ways are effective, but Going to a conference is like fast forward, quick way to meet people and to get things done. Well, you know, so with respect to finding jobs, uh, with res- so there's there's two there's two jobs t- um, strategies I'd like to talk about. So the first one will be people who are actually looking for medical jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, I was speaking to some residents and uh, other medical professionals, and they're getting solicited about fifty times. Um, a month on email for, for medical jobs now. And it's, it's easy, I think, to fall prey to not necessarily be preyed upon by the recruiters, but if you rely only on recruiters to finding the job, it might lead not necessarily to the, to the most ideal job. Whereas if you use networking, maybe that would then you can come create, you know, uh, seek out something that you really desire in terms of your personality type, what you're looking for through another person as opposed to a recruiter who's just trying to find a job um, to, to, to satisfy their uh, person trying to, um, how do I put this? Most recruiters get ha- hired by hospitals, and so they're trying to fit a physician to their job as opposed to something that that employer, employee would actually want. Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up. Being a doctor kind of feels like it will be easy to get a job. And and it is in a sense because, yes, you have recruiters all the time reaching out with these different opportunities. And um, so the thing that I tell people is think about why the recruiters are reaching out to you. They make a lot of money placing physicians in clinical jobs, a lot of money, ten to 20000 sometimes more for the higher specialties by placing one physician. So I've had people tell me that they used a recruiter and then they got into a new job 
And a month later, that same recruiter was contacting them again with another job, which is ridiculous. <laughs> so while sometimes people do get into their dream job with using a recruiter, it's not the worst thing in the world. It's really important to remember how these recruiters are getting paid. They do not have your best interest in mind. They may act like it and they may have great personalities that make you feel like they're your friend and they may be nice people. But at the end of the day, they're getting paid a handsome sum to place you in a clinical job. So just make sure that that clinical job is going to be one that you like, that you can tolerate, that has the different components that you're looking for. And networking can help you better understand that. So networking is a little bit harder. Um, it's not just an easy call a recruiter, have them feed you jobs, take the job they give you, boom, you're done. You don't have to think about it. It's definitely harder. More active participation requ is required for networking. But if you're playing the long game and wanting to be in a job where you feel happy, you've got either the work-life balance you need or the uh, the different components of the job that you need, whether it's outpatient or inpatient or whether you're doing deliveries or not or certain uh, surgeries or not or you have access to certain facilities. So all these different things that are really going to make your life really good or really miserable <laughs> are there. Well, you know, Michelle, it's it's interesting that you say that. So I was looking at some uh, recent survey data from 2017, and if you look at medical residents in, in particular, they have the highest rate of attrition after their first two years. The number is something like 50%. And I wonder how much of this plays into, A, how much they don't know about what they're seeking, and B, how many of them were actually recruited into a job that they didn't necessarily want. Absolutely. Yep. You hear it all the time. And you also hear people leaving after their guarantee is up because they are not happy. It's not a good fit. And so once the money piece is gone, they're gone. And that's not a good thing for an organization because it costs an organization hundreds of thousands of dollars to recruit a new physician and train him or her. Well, you know, even from the personal perspective, let's say you were that physician that transitioned out, you know, you've lost an opportunity to build a network within your own community. You've lost uh, maybe some income from not necessarily from the short-term perspective, but from the ability to grow a practice long-term. And and then, you know, what if, what if the job that you're transitioning out of is in a different state or in a different location, then you have to pick up and, and go through all that, especially if you have a family, it might be very, very challenging. So, um, I think if you were to then network, really find out what you want, um, and then through your networking ability, find the right person to match you with the, what you want, don't you think you'd have better success? Oh, yeah. Long term, playing the long game like that every time. Um, the upheaval of the family is the biggest issue usually with this because moving jobs or having to change locations every couple of years or every year is so disruptive for a spouse who may or may not have a job themselves and for the kids who have to change schools or have new friends. And so it it is very hard. Um, finding something that you know you can be happy with at least for five or six years. And you don't have to think about being there forever, but you know, the longevity in a different career in a different place is, or in the same career in the same place is um, a lot to be said for that. 
So uh, kind of backing up a little bit then, uh, you'd mentioned that physicians in general have um, kind of, uh, they, they look at networking as slimy, if you will. And, you know, I think all of us have been exposed to um, um, people who are trying to sell products to us in the medical uh, field. And as a consequence, all of those people have been uh, booted out of med- clinical medicine in, in the academic centers. Um, and then we're taught this over and over again that, uh, that we should not be networking. How would you, how would you go about teaching like a new crop of residents that it's not something that they should be afraid of? A lot of it comes down to how you approach it. And that book that I mentioned, that's why it was so helpful because it did give me that different perspective on networking and it helped me understand that it wasn't just giving people compliments or trying to do the right thing. It was really finding out what someone else is interested in and then talking to them about that. I mean, really, that is all networking is. It's making a connection with another person, a positive connection with another person. And it's fulfilling for both people, whether you quote, get anything out of it or not, because we all crave connection with others. And so in fact, networking can be fun. It can be fulfilling and oh bonus, it can get you a job that you really love. (laughs) Exactly. Um, You know, it's interesting, you know, you mentioned that you were an introvert. Um, and you know, everybody has different strengths and weaknesses. And so as an introvert, you know, how, how do you overcome, you know, that, the idea that, you know, reaching out to somebody, if that's not your strength, how do you, you know, what kind of strategies would you, would you, would you advise somebody who's really afraid to talk to other people? Yeah. Yeah. So networking was probably twice as hard for me because I'm an introvert and it's, scary for me to reach out to other people. I mean, not so much anymore, but it it really used to be. It took me years to actually enjoy going to a party where I wouldn't know anyone. And and even now, if I know I'm not going to know a lot of people, there's still that same fear of, yeah, I don't want to go to this. But at this point, I can push that aside and and go and and it's great. But that is... I definitely understand what it's like to network when you're afraid to reach out or when you just have that personality type. Um, And I think for introverts, thinking about networking with the perspective of just connecting with the other person and finding out about them, I think that will help any introvert tremendously because introverts by nature like to listen and they like to ask people questions about themselves. And if you think about people, they love to talk about themselves. So it actually ends up working out very well for introverts because once you get over that initial, hi, how are you? What's your name? What do you do? Kind of thing. An introvert can ask a really interesting question of the other person, sit back and listen, and everybody's happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, so for example, I've, I've heard the karate chop um, technique. Do you advocate doing that where you come up to somebody, put your hand out and say, hi, nice to meet you. Would you advocate that for an introvert? Yes. I, it does not come naturally to me either, but if you think about a big room, 
most of those people are either afraid or introverted or don't want to be there or just are unsure. And so if you can break the ice initially by going up to someone and saying, hi, my name is, what are you here for? Or how do you know the person who's having the party or, you know, whatever, just small thing. Can you believe this weather? Or, you know, can't believe the holidays are coming up soon or, you know, anything really that is current and relevant and um, comes to your mind. Um, kind of superficial at first, of course. You don't want to you don't want to say something embarrassing about yourself in that first sentence because that might be awkward. But um, yeah, I've, I've never heard it called the karate chop method, but I guess it kind of is. I, I guess maybe putting your hand out a little bit more gently instead of karate chopping it down would be <laughs> <laughs> would be a better approach. But yeah, don't, don't poke know. him in the eye. Yeah, exactly. Oh my goodness. Uh, okay. Um, now you you did mention social media, and I think you're a big advocate of having a good social media strategy. Uh, what do you think uh, social media plays a role in networking today? Social media is an interesting beast. It is very overwhelming for sure, especially for those of us who didn't grow up with social media. Uh, I know that I get overwhelmed with social media and I've heard that from others as well. Um, it can consume you. There's so many different channels and different ways of approaching them. And there are different techniques that work better on different channels. Uh, so that is, that's kind of something you have to get over. But the great part about social media is that it can introduce you to people that you never would have otherwise met. And it can actually bring you closer to them, create friendships, create bonds. I have interacted with someone that I've never met before. We've inter- we've ended up writing an article together and then presenting on that at a conference and meeting for the first time in person. All of that would have never happened had social media not been there. Um, That was through LinkedIn, but I have a similar story about Facebook. I met someone who runs actually a Facebook group and we ended up deciding to have a small meeting, a regional meeting. We ended up getting a bunch of people to come and we, we all talked about different side gigs and careers. And so that never would have happened if social media didn't exist. So yes, I hear a lot of people saying, oh, I don't like social media. I don't know how to approach it. I don't want to approach it. And I feel you. It, it can be super overwhelming, but it can also be another channel for meeting people. And that's a very positive thing. Well, you know, I recently discovered the whole Facebook group phenomenon as well. And uh, just just to, just to try it out, one day I, I simply posed a question on a Facebook group and uh, I was blown away how many responses I got to it and how people were overwhelmingly willing to help uh, for my given question, I think I got like 25 responses. And uh, the question was, should I, you know, how do, how do I go about starting a podcast or monetization or something to that effect? And the responses were amazing. And, and you know, I've uh, built a lot of um, collaborative relationships with these these total strangers as a result of that one question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great example. Um, so, so going back to finding a job, though, so now today, more than ever, now we have access to all these different technologies, all these different job boards. You know, traditional societies still have their industry magazines that you can look in the back of to, to find jobs. But it seems to me finding a job um, still really boils down to networking. So if you were trying to find a job in, say, a particular, let's say, um, 
internal medicine, as an example, and you wanted to find a job in a particular state, um, would you what, what kind of st- strategy would you recommend for uh, a resident looking looking for a, for a job? Yeah, so a couple of things. First, I would do a little bit of research. Uh, research is easy for us doctors. We know how to do it. We like to do it. And <laughs> so that's that's the first thing. So that kind of takes the overwhelm out of it too because you know that the first step is not going to be so scary. But research some of the different clinics and hospitals that are in the area that you may want to be in. So what exists? What are your options? If you want to be in one place, then you are going to have some limitations, but that's okay. And in fact, you have to have some limitations at some point because you can't get a job everywhere. So let's say you want to be in Indiana. Um, you want to be in a specific city there. Make a radius outside of that city uh, as large as you would be able to to kind of tolerate and kind of think about where you might want to live. So, you know, this is kind of getting down into the weeds, but this will ultimately make things much easier for you. Um, so once you identify that and you identify what your options are, then you can start to see if there is anyone there at any of those clinics or hospitals or organizations that you may know. And you can um, you can research this again on the internet. You can check out the doctors that are part of the organization because they're usually always on um, on their website. And you may find someone that you know or you may find someone that is an alumni of your medical school or your residency or college or um, that your brother's sister knows or somehow you have a connection with this person, then you can reach out to them and um, and just let them know that you're considering moving to that area and do they have any advice or how do they like it? Um, you would not ask for a job at that point. And that's really key because I, I said this before, asking anyone straight up for a job is overwhelming and it's uncomfortable for the other person. So that is something that you want to try to avoid at least initially. I mean, at some point it is a little bit more appropriate, but in these initial outreaches and networking, you're not going to want to lead with that question. Well, you know, the nice thing about doing that is, uh, so all these people are fair game because you have one or two degrees of connection to them. Mm -hmm. And then it also gets you insight as to what their community is like or what their um, hospital is like. Mm-hmm. You agree? Oh, absolutely. Here's the really beautiful part about it. You may find out something that you would never have found out about, about the culture or about the particular organization that makes you realize that that is not the place you want to be. And you may have thought it was your dream job before and they may be recruiting you. I mean, it may be, seem like a slam dunk, but you want to make sure that you know the culture and the way that things are done, the way that people are treated, all of that is acceptable because you and I both know there are a lot of malignant organizations out there and the perfect job is not the perfect job if it, you're in a place like that. Especially if there's not a good support network for you. Um, I find that a lot of people will join a job and if they show up to their new job and there's no mentoring or coaching or career advice, they flounder and then they end up, you know, quitting um, like the rest of the residents we talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, medicine is hard enough. So if you don't have those coaching, those mentors that help that upward trajectory, all of those things, then all of the, the burnout, the exhaustion, the um, extra administrative stuff, the extra hours, all that is just going to become intolerable and you're going to end up leaving. 
Well, you know, on that note, I, I feel very strongly, the more I've researched this and the more I've thought about it, I think physicians, every single physician on this planet should have some type of coach, whether it's a career coach, um, other t- a personal coach, they need something or, or a excellent mentor. And, you know, there's good mentors and bad mentors, but everybody needs somebody to help them um, transition from whatever they were doing to, some, to what they would like to be doing. Um, I recently listened to a TED Talk by Atul Gawande, and he talked about uh, how he was very resistant in his career at first to have a coach. And then once he had one of his old um, attendings, you know, um, scrub in with him for a surgery just to observe him, uh, he was really surprised how much more improvement it, it provided for him through through the coaching. And I find that physicians in general are very, very resistant to coaching. Uh, why do you think that is? Yeah, I think that's changing, but I agree. Initially, physicians are not open to coaching and in fact, have not been the most, um, been asking for it traditionally. And so that may have, have hurt us as a profession and hopefully it's going to get better now that I, I do see things changing. Um, but I think it kind of goes back to the culture of medicine and the inability to ask for help or to be seen as weak or to be seen as not knowing at all and needing mentorship or, or coaching. Um, Atul Gawande has changed a lot of things for people and that's such a positive thing. He's written on coaching. He's written on a lot of different topics that have gotten them exposed and out there. And that in turn has also brought other people out talking about the benefits of not only coaching, but work-life balance and wellness and all of these things that people thought doctors didn't need, or um, even physicians themselves thought they, they didn't need because, you know, they were they were great. They, they, once you're trained, you, you've got it all, you know, it all, you've got it all. And it's amazing. <laughs> I mean, now we just know that is not the truth. And people are a lot more willing to admit that now. And so that is such a great thing. And I think that'll help us as a profession overall. So, so you personally are finding that more and more physicians are willing to seek out help and, and then accept the help? Yes. I have had people call me and say that two or three years ago, they would never have even considered reaching out to me or working with me. And that has been true both in the physicians helping physicians coaching practice that I run and in some of the other coaching realms where I work with large organizations to coach their physicians. There are older physicians now that are coming to the meetings or, um, signing up for the phone calls or the workshops and saying, I never would have done this five years ago. Um, so that's great. Well, you know, I think part of the reason why you would want to get a coach in the beginning is networking in and of itself is it's hard. And if you have somebody that you can talk to about an experience you might've had the networking and then receive feedback on it, it would, it would then make you even better at networking and, or like you said, achieving work-life balance or just being an awesome, uh, being happier and awesome in your career. Exactly. Yep. Um, so you, you we talked earlier on the podcast about some exciting news. What kind of exciting news were you going to share with us today? Yeah. So... I am having the first Physicians Helping Physicians meeting, and it is going to be a celebration. And the reason I've decided to do it this way is because 
meetings and conferences, they can get so boring and expensive. This is going to be a non-traditional meeting where we're going to bring together people that I've worked with over the decade of time that I've been coaching. And I have worked with a lot of people. So I'm putting the word out to everyone that this is a time of celebration for non-clinical careers and side gigs for helping people to get further along in where they want to be, whether they are already working in a non-clinical career or have a non-clinical side gig, or whether they've just thought about it for years and are ready now. We're going to bring everyone together. We're going to be mentoring like crazy. There are going to be some workshops and sessions because I want people to get value out of this. And I will personally guarantee that everyone who comes has an updated resume and elevator pitch when they leave. So not only will they get amazing networking, but they will actually get something that can cost hundreds of dollars. Now, the really cool thing about this is the way that I am um, structuring the registration fee. It's going to be a donation. So I'm poning up the... uh, over 10 grand for food and beverages and a block of hotel rooms. And what I'm asking for the people that want to come is, is a donation anywhere from 200 to 500. I mean, if you want to give more, that's great, but no one is expected to. Um, and we're just going to have a big party. It is going to be amazing in Austin, Texas, April, 2019. So we're about six months away. The first weekend in April, Um, I'll be sending out information and um, hopefully you'll post some information on your website so that if people hear this and they're interested, they can get on the site and register because I know that Block Rooms is going to go quick. How exciting. Yeah, I will post that on uh, the show notes and uh, I am so excited to go. Um, And from what I understand, lots of people are going to be excited to go as well. Oh, yeah. I've already had 15 people commit already to go and be mentoring and helping people. And I know that you're going to be there. You're going to be talking about some things. So it's going to be fun. I'm so excited. Oh my God. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to death. Um, where else can people find you? What's, what's a, the website would be the best place. Yeah, probably the website, uh, phphysicians.com. Uh, you can just Google physicians helping physicians and that'll come up. I'm all over the place. I'm, <laughs> I, since I've been doing this for so long, I'm very Googleable. Um, my articles are still out there from the early two thousands. Uh, you can read those or you can see them on my site. Um, I'm on all the social media channels and um, so I'm I'm pretty easy to find. <laughs> huh. Well, Michelle, I just want to thank you. Uh, you know, you know, I could tell that you've been doing this for such a long time. Your message is so crystal clear. Um, your advice is so actionable, and your results are undeniable. So, um, I, I personally went through your coaching process, uh, class and your and your uh, process, and it was it was nothing short of amazing. Um, I was then coached by one of your students and then I had coached somebody else. And even that experience was just unbelievable. And uh, I received massive value from my coach. Hopefully I delivered good value to, to my, uh, to my coachee, I guess is what you would yeah. call him. Um, 
And again, it was such an amazing process. I'm so I'm so thankful that you put that together, and I'm so thankful that you're putting together this conference. Uh, I think it's going to help a lot of physicians, especially in the era of, of all the burnout and all the, the the things physicians are going through. They need a support network, and, and you're really doing it for them. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think this is going to be the first year of a lot of years to come of just amazing mentorship and and helping people get to where they want to be. So, yeah, I am so excited. Thank you for having me today. That was my pleasure. Well, that should about wrap it up. I'd really like to thank Dr. Michelle Mudge-Riley for being on my show. I hope you gained a ton of value out of this. And uh, again, if you have any questions, if there's any other additional information you would like to hear on the show, please go to thephysiciannegotiator.com and leave a comment or a question, and maybe it'll be on the show. I'd love to. I'd like to hear from you. Again, that's physiciannegotiator.com. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the Physician Negotiator podcast. For show notes and other resources, please visit thephysiciannegotiator.com.